Uh, today we'll be reading 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, starting from verse 17 to chapter 6, verse 2. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Nelson. It's great to have the opportunity to open up uh, this part of God's word uh, for us today. And uh, really looking forward to, uh, to doing that with you. It's, uh, it's a really interesting time for me to be thinking about uh, New Life Anglican Church. I'm just back from holidays, which is, which is great. Uh, and one of the things I was asked to do, we, we actually have a building that's being built by the Anglican Church in Sydney for us, which is quite extraordinary, across on a hill over here. Uh, if you live in the area, you might have seen it. Uh, it's had a red roof recently, uh, which is not the final colour I'm here to tell you. Uh, it's to do with the waterproofing that's going to go underneath the white uh, aluminium that'll be on the roof. But... Uh, that building over there is very exciting. And one of the things I've been asked to do, which I hadn't anticipated doing, but someone said to me, so what words would you like to have put on the plaque that goes on the wall? I don't know. What do you write on plaques that go on the wall when, when it gets opened? And it caused me to think, caused me to think, because the church that I went to, uh, well, how many churches ago? A number of churches ago, where, where I really uh, came to my first Anglican church, yeah, probably a little, bit, a little bit less than 20 years ago, uh, had its 150th anniversary two years ago. 150th anniversary. Uh, it says uh, up here, uh, this tablet commemorates the founding of St Paul's Church on the 23rd of May, 1862, and the laying of the foundation stone of this building on 19th of November, 1879, by the Most Reverend Frederick Barker, DD Bishop of Sydney. Now, that's pretty good. I looked up some other ones, and they said, for God's glory, this stone was laid quite like that. Uh, what it set me thinking about is, what are we doing here today in a school library that under God might have any relevance to the world in 150 years? It's pretty extraordinary, isn't it? I'm excited that it has any relevance three years later. But what are we doing? What, what are we doing that's of great value that might last and I think if, if you're someone who has never been to church before and you're thinking, what are these people doing? Or if you're someone who's been going to church all your life, I think the question of what are we here for is a valid one. And so we ask ourselves, I think legitimately, what are we actually about? What's, what's this thing for? And we're going to try and explore the answer to that today. I was, uh, I was mowing my lawn yesterday. That, that is actually my lawn, magnificent, uh, and my lawnmower. Uh, with a little bit less smoke coming out of it than when I'm mowing it, but uh, it, there's, there's our lawn. So I'm at the front of my house and I'm, I'm mowing my lawn and uh, actually I've just finished and I'm chatting with the kids and, uh, and some guys that look like this, not exactly like that, but some guys who look like this uh, came up my driveway uh, to say hello to me. 
Anyone recognise who they might be? Okay. So, uh, so here's the thing. Uh, I'm standing there and I said, look, guys, it's lovely to meet you. It's a beautiful day. He said, oh, can I give you some literature? I said, do you see this building here? I said, oh, yes. I said, do you know what it is? I said, don't know what it is. It's an Anglican church. Oh, okay, that's nice. I'm the minister of the Anglican church. <laughs> I probably won't be taking any of your literature today. Um, now, that, I, I try and be really polite and appropriate in those situations. I, I figure... Uh, I'm not going to be converted when they're chatting with me and I shouldn't probably think that they're going to be converted as they're chatting to me just at that moment there, okay? That, that, that's my personal take on those things, just be as polite as possible. But I watch them go next door and chat to my neighbours. Now, I know my neighbours well. I've been praying for them for years now. And I watched them knock on the door there and I thought, you know, what would happen if they became Jehovah's Witnesses? What would have to change in their lives? What would be different for them as I know them? What, what would have to change? And I was thinking about that and I was thinking, yeah, I, I wonder what are the changes that you and I are looking for in the people that we pray for? What, what do we hope would actually be different in the lives of people, maybe some of you here today, who don't know Jesus yet? What, what would we hope would be different if you actually got it, if they got it? What would be different? What are the changes that we're looking for? And we'll explore that today. Uh, thirdly, I was on holidays. This is a shot from my holidays. How nice is that on the central coast? There aren't as many beaches around here. Have you noticed this? Um, unless you go to Wet n Wild, which is the beach of the west. No, none of you are from here. Okay, that's good. Uh, that's, um, so anyway, I was on holidays. And I was thinking as on holidays, I have time to pursue some of my hobbies. And one of my hobbies is bike riding. Uh, and uh, I love riding my bike, and I've been riding my bike now for almost three years, and I've been building up to something. Uh, I've been getting gear and equipment. I've been training physically. I've been watching what I eat. I, I got myself all packed up and ready for this one thing that I've been kind of working towards for three years. Uh, on my holidays, I rode 100 kilometres on my bike on one day in, in, one, in one go, and I... Uh, I'd been devoting myself to that end for pretty much three years, working hard, working on my strength, working on making sure my equipment sorted out so that I could do that. Now, I was almost dead at the end, but, you know, I did it, which is great. And uh, as I was thinking about that, I I was thinking about what place does church play in your life? What place does church play in your life? Is it merely a hobby that you'll occasionally get to. But, but here's the extraordinary thing. If, it, if it's a hobby, you may even give it more attention. My, my, my bike riding's a hobby. I ride three times a week. I try and put several hours into it. I read about it. I think about it. That's my hobby, and it gets that much time from you. What place church in your life? And, and for some of you, None. And that's, that's real, that's, that's obvious. For some of you who are coming along, though, what's the answer? What would you say is the place, how much devotion, how much energy does church get, does God get in your life? We're going to think about that today. I'm going to take us to this little bit of God's word, a little bit before where Nelson read today, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you've got the Bible here, it's on, uh, it's on page 159, because I'm going to be reading from chapter 5, Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to look at verse 
one first. I'm going to say Paul, who's the writer of this letter, has some pretty confronting priorities that kind of challenge us a little bit at this time of the year. So let's have a look. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1 says this. Oh, firstly, what's a Corinthian? Uh, it's a city in, uh, in around Greece called Corinth, and the Corinthians are the people of Corinth. This guy Paul has written a letter to them, to the church in that town, and that's why it's called 2 Corinthians, because it's the second letter that he wrote to this group of people. Uh, he's in the middle of his argument here as we pick it up in chapter 5. He says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed... We have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. What on earth is he saying? Uh, Well, interestingly enough, firstly to note is that Paul was a tent maker. Did anyone know that? Uh, The way that Paul paid his way through, he was kind of a bivocational guy. He had two jobs. He was a, a church planter and he was a tent maker. So uh, interestingly enough that he refers to his body as a tent. We have this tent this body that we live in. It says, if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. What Paul is saying here is that we have a firm home with God in heaven that's even bigger than our bodies which waste away. What Paul's saying is he wants you to look beyond the lawn. I think sometimes our lives can collapse down to, gee, I think my lawn needs a mow today. And when's my next holiday? And gee, I've had a bad day with the kids, or, or a good day, hypothetically. Does anyone have that? No, they have. of course you do. So, so our lives can just collapse down to the things that are just this far away from us. And Paul is saying here, lift up your eyes. If our bodies waste away, that's not everything that there is. For those who trust in Jesus, there's an eternal hope. We have a home in heaven with God. A life that helps us to look beyond the lawn. He goes on in, uh, in chapters two, uh, chapter 5, verses 2 to, two to 5. He says, Meanwhile, in other words, while we're waiting for that to happen, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, that's he's referring to his body, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. For the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Now look, maybe some of the people in our VIP seating down the front here from from Cheslon may know a little bit about the groaning with the body. Don't know, but I'm guessing. Uh, Some of you may know about the groaning with the body. We get older and we break down a little bit at a time. We groan in this life. Everything isn't excellent all the time, even if you have watched the Lego movie. Yeah? Everything isn't awesome all the time. Things can be heartbreaking, hard, disappointing, frustrating. They can break our hearts. They can cause us to lose hope. And what Paul is saying here is, while we groan, we wait expectantly for the day that's to come. For the day where we will be clothed, ready for immortality, to live forever, where there will be no more pain or sickness or sorrow. Don't we long for that day? And so I think that where people here are camping with a housing deposit, 
Do you see what the deposit is here? Uh, He has given us his spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. If you love Jesus, the Holy Spirit lives in your heart. And that is God's guarantee that you will be raised up and live forever with him after you die. So this life we're living in, it's camping. Some of you like camping. Some of you would like to be in more salubrious accommodation. Don't worry. There is a home guaranteed for us by the Holy Spirit. We are a camping people with a housing deposit. Brilliant. It's not all just awesomely good news, though. Have a look at verse 10. It says in verse 9, We make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Uh, here's the bit that we have to tell you because it's true for me just as it is for you. The worthwhile and the wasted will be weighed every single one. The worthwhile life lived for God and for his purposes, lived beyond the lawn, will be weighed, will be judged. The wasted life, the, the life that's only lived for the here and now, will be weighed, will be judged. For some of us, that's a terrifying thought. For, probably for all of us, it's a terrifying thought at one level that, that the God of the universe would weigh us on a scale. There is great hope, though, that we, meet, we might not find the final word to be a no. Ha- have a listen to, uh, to these verses here, verses 11 to 13. Since we know what it is to fear the Lord, that is to live aware that God exists, to live challenged by the fact that he's the God over all, We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God and I hope is also plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you the opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what is unseen, uh, rather than what is in the heart. If we are out of our mind, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Here's the thing. The hope we have is on that judgment day, you don't have to be lost. Because Jesus has died and risen again, you and I can be forgiven. On that day, we can be made right before God. And if that truth is true, it can't be for us alone. In fact, ironically enough, everyone, the quiet church that never says anything about the things that they believe is actually more, I think, an affront to the world than the church who tells the world what we believe is true. Do you understand? If it's true and we don't tell you, is it, is it really doing the right thing? It's actually a terrible thing if it's true and we don't tell you. The truth can't be for us alone. We see this wonderful hope we have here uh, in verses 14 and 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Jesus' sacrifice compels us to selfless service. If you love Jesus, if he died for you, then you would give your life beyond yourself for him and for others. I'm just going to stop at this moment. I'm going to get some water from here, but I want you to just read that for a second. Just think. What if it was true, what I just said? I mean, come on, it's the Bible, it's it's. It's 2,000 years old. It can't really be very relevant, can it? Written by dead people. 
Walk with me for a moment. What, what if it was true? What if it was true? No, no, no. no. Actually, really true. That, that there is a hope in heaven. That there is the opportunity to live beyond our groaning bodies here. That there's forgiveness from God. What if that was true? Really true. If there was going to be a judgment day and you knew it was going to happen, what if that was true? Well, I'm going to ask you to come on a little, a little thought experiment with me. Let's pretend it's true and just see what it might mean for us if that's true. Just, just think for me, if you really got this, if you said that is actually the way the universe is wired up, how would you live? How would you live? Have a look with me at verse 17, which is where uh, Nelson picked up the reading for us. Uh, it's on page uh, 1160 there. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. The old is gone. The new has come. You know, we call our church new life. Do you know why we call it new life? Well, I I kind of figured that everyone who's moving into a brand new suburb, building a new home, actually has come here to start a new life. But that's not enough. The reason we call the church new life is I want that to appeal to people. Yeah, you came here to start a new life. But more than that, to find a fresh start with God. If anyone's in Christ, if anyone said, yes, I'm on board with Jesus, guess what? Sin's forgiven, cancelled, never to be recalled. Guilt cleansed, conscience cleansed, real forgiveness possible. What if that was true? What if that was true, that you could be forgiven of all that you're ashamed of? What if that was true? Have you received it? Have you found new life with God, a fresh start? Or are we just mowing the lawn and hoping that one day our kids will behave? Both of them are going to be pretty tough, aren't they? I want to challenge you this morning, if you've never taken hold of that offer of new life in Jesus, take hold of it. It's true and real and that forgiveness is there for you. If you've already taken hold of it, is your life new? Has it truly been made new? Have a look at where it comes from. I'm going to read verses 18 and 19 here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. See what it says here. We've been reconciled with God, been made right with God again. It's freedom from our sins and freedom to the responsibility of being ambassadors, people with a message. See that? You're not just saved from, oh, great, kick back on the good ship, heaven. Put the deck chairs out, guys. Never have to worry about anything. It's not just saved from the, the terrible to the great. It's actually saved into something as well, to the job of being ambassadors for Jesus. God says he's committed to us the message of reconciliation. God's crazy, incidentally, isn't he? Because if I was God, I would never have entrusted the message to you or me. Really? I mean, if you're God and you could just, you know, use the cosmic microphone, obey Jesus, that is all. Done, yeah? Good. 
all done. And everyone goes, oh, there's a cosmic voice. should listen to that. That was God. We should, should get on with it. God foolishly has committed the message to ordinary people that look fallible, hypocritical, that look like terrible neighbours who are trying, trying, trying to live out the new life they found in Jesus. That's who God has committed the message to. Was that a good move on God's part? I'll tell you what, amazingly, he thinks it was the best plan. My challenge to you would be, are you part of his plan? Or are you kicking back on the good ship, asking where the drinks are coming around again? Have a listen to Paul here. He's talking to the Corinthians, but he must be talking to the world around as well. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That, that, that reconciled word, what, what does it mean? Well, the idea is restored relationship. Restored relationship. A relationship that's been broken, rendered, ruined by self by sin, by damage, by that relationship restored. That's what reconciliation is about. It's a powerful word, made right, renewed. And what he's saying here is, I implore you, please be right with your heavenly father, be right with God, find forgiveness from him. Do you notice he doesn't say, oh, if you get around to it, could you idly consider perhaps maybe, possibly, if it, doesn't matter too much to you. He doesn't say that. Now, we, Australians don't like passion very much up front when people are talking. We kind of think it, we get a bit cynical about it. It's a bit American really, isn't it? So if I started yelling and screaming and imploring you, you'd probably just think I was a bit nut. So I'm going to say it really quietly. But can I say, men and women here today, be right with God. Please. For those of you who haven't, please listen to that call and respond. For those of you who've heard it before, can you see Paul's passion? This is where everyone nods. Oh, yeah, I can see Paul's passion, yeah. Can you see it? Yes. Right, here's the thing, here's the thing. I figure if you can't give me a yes in church, how likely are you to be an ambassador of reconciliation? Yeah, unlikely, I'd suggest, hey? So here's the thing. Can you see Paul's passion? Do you know why he's so passionate? i tell you why he's so passionate. Because he believes it's true. It's not that he sat at home whipping himself until he got guilty and scared enough to go out and oh, maybe tell someone about Jesus. He just figured, look, if this is true, can I just tell you? I don't want to offend you. I don't want to make you upset. I don't want to hurt your feelings. But if it's true, you need to hear this. I want to do it lovingly, sacrificially, servant-heartedly. But if I don't tell you, it's me who will be in trouble. Because I know, and you don't yet, and I want you to know. Can you see that? See Paul's new passion. Here's where it's awesome. Verse 21. God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin... To be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does it mean? That's a good question. Thank you for asking. That's helpful. Here's the thing. Jesus was the only guy who never sinned in the whole history of the universe. The only person who never sinned. He lived a sinless life. God says the punishment for sin is death. 
So if you sin, you deserve to die. I deserve to die. You deserve to die. I don't know anything about you, but I know you've sinned. Jesus never deserved to die. But you will tell me what happened to Jesus. How did his life finish? He was executed on the cross, wasn't he? Why did he die if he was a sinless man? Here's what happened. God took your sin and your sin and my sin and it was placed on Jesus. In my place, he died my death. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What does that mean? Because Jesus was beautifully pure and clean, he was righteous or lived rightly before God. And what God does is he puts my sin on Jesus and counts Jesus' righteousness to me. He says, I can be right before God. That's extraordinary. That's extraordinary. You and I cannot just be forgiven of our sins, but made right in God's sight. That's brilliant. Sinners made right. That's the good news. The good news isn't that good people go to heaven. The good news is bad people go to heaven. People like me get forgiven because Jesus died for them. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favour, I heard you. In the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. So when is God open for business for this whole forgiveness thing? He's got a clerk at the desk and he says, we only work nine to five. If you can come back a little bit later, weekdays, Monday to Friday, we could talk about this whole forgiveness thing. No. Now is the day of salvation. This is a great day to get right with God. Right now. Notice again Paul's passion. We urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. He's offering forgiveness. Don't put it off. Take advantage of it today. It's an, well, I was going to say it's a limited time offer, but (laughs) it is eventually. We have a new hope and a new urgency. Brothers and sisters, if you know Jesus already, today's a great day for someone to get right with God and you can be his ambassador in doing that. If you're not yet, today is a great day to get right with God because he's open for business right now. Well, if that's true, remember we're pretending this is all true. If that's true, then... It leads us to this. This is a picture of Oran Park, a hypothetical future of Oran Park rendered in a computer. How nice. Everything's a lot nicer when it's rendered by a computer, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's a lot less dusty and uh, beautiful, and there are the taller trees. Uh, this is actually the church that's being built right now. Uh, this is all grass here at the moment, and that's all future school and future town that's all yet to be built. That's future church that's yet to be built too, can I say? But this little bit here is what's being built at the moment. What is the passion of this church? Why do we exist? This is why we exist. We long to see new life in Jesus come to every home in Oran Park and the growing southwest for their salvation, for the good of the community and the glory of God. That is why we are here. That is a purpose I hope stands in 150 years from now. It'll be relevant next week, next decade, in 150 years, until new life comes to every home. How will we do that? How will we do that? Well, under God, we hope to do that by doing two things. You may have seen them before. We hope to do it by 
giving the message of new life. See that here? We actually have a plan for how we go about sharing this good news, being ambassadors. We talk about connecting, caring, communicating and leading people to commit. It's not one terrifying conversation. In relationship, we are taking four steps to help people come to know and love the Lord Jesus. Connect, care, communicate and lead people to commit. We are about giving the message of new life. For those of us who are wondering what sort of change do we want to see, what type of people are we trying to be? If you've walked into this church, what are we hoping that we'll become? Not not just hypocrites, not just failures at trying to do something great. Here's what we're hoping to become. We're hoping to be people who are living new life for Jesus. It says it over here. People who are faithful, who are adventurous, who are compassionate and who are enduring. People who are faithful, adventurous, compassionate and enduring. I am loving praying this for my kids. What am I hoping? Oh, I, hope, I hope they get bigger. Well, keep feeding them. It'll happen. No, no, no. I'm praying that my kids will be faithful in following Jesus. Adventurous by daring in the Holy Spirit to do great things for God. Compassionate. Hearing Jesus' call to love the least. Enduring. Running to win the prize at the end on that final day. Gee, that's been changing how I think about my kids. How are we going to do that this year? Well, I've done some thinking about that. Looks like this. You're going to love it. By by the way, I'm anticipating you can't read it. All right? So here's the thing. We've actually got a plan for what we're doing this year. I've got 20 copies here. If you take one for your family and pass it around, that would be cool. I know that I won't have your attention once I give you this piece of paper, but no, no, I won't give you this piece of paper. Get it at the end. That'll be great. Um, actually, Lauren, oh, uh, yeah, can I get you to put it at the back, Lauren? Is that all right? Just so you can see if they are real. Let me just quickly tell you some highlights about this year as we passionately try and take new life to every home. What are we going to do? Well, Here's some things that are really cool. I want to let you know that our building will be opening on May the 2nd. I'm excited about that. I'll tell you why I'm excited. The bishop is going to be, the archbishop is going to be here to open something. I don't know if our building's going to be finished on May the 2nd, but, uh, but the, the, the archbishop's going to be here to open it on May the 2nd. That's exciting. We're going to have a suit and tie opening and we're going to have an Oran Park opening. The suit and tie one you can come to if you want to. I figure the building will be filled up with, a, with people who kind of need to be there. It's going to be on a Saturday. I don't mind if you don't come. If you want to come, that's fine. It'll be where we unveil the plaque. Later in the month, on May the 22nd, uh, May the 24th, sorry, we're going to have an opening for Oran Park. We're going to invite, invite everyone in Oran Park to come along. We're going to have jumping castles. We're going to have zoos. We're going to, have, we're going to, do, we're going to make it a huge party. We're going to have massive barbecue. And we're going to say, Oran Park, we're your local church. We want to invite you to come and join us. Does that sound exciting? I'm excited about that. Uh, we do a course called Jesus for the Curious. It's going to run regularly through this year. I want you to know when the dates are for that so you can invite people you know and love who you're praying for to say, come and find out about Jesus. They're the dates for that. We're running a partnership course. Partnership is how people who are part of our church move from people who sit in the pews to say, no, no, this is my church. I'm in. I want to serve here. I want to be partners with you. That course is going to be running through the year. Uh, in the back half, uh, in the middle of the year, we've got a holiday kids club. 
uh, and we've got a celebration service like we had last year at the end. Uh, we've also got some exciting things uh, coming up. Corner Connect barbecues there, prayer once a month in the rectory uh, for our parish. We've got some training days coming up. Uh, we've got a marriage day on August the 1st. We'll be focusing on marriages. We're going to collect for simple love again, um, food for refugees. We're going to have a morning tea at Cheslon. It's going to be exciting. Uh, and at the end of the year, on Saturday the 19th, we're going to have carols, which is going to be awesome as well. All right, very good. So here's the thing. What will 2015 bring for your home? What will it bring for your home? Will Jesus and church be a hobby you fit in? What if it's really true? Really true. How would it affect the priorities of your family, your time, the talents that you have, the treasure that it's at your disposal? How would you use that for God's glory to see new life come to every home if it's true? What would it look like in your home? Here's the building. They put some panels on the back wall yesterday. I'm very excited about that. They haven't finished the job, by the way. I don't think that's sort of an artistic thing. They're going to come back and finish that off soon. There's the building. Is our hope in the building? Thank you, Peter. Can I hear a couple of people say no as well? Is our hope in the building? Where is our hope? In Jesus alone is our hope. In Jesus alone. Now, I think the building's going to be brilliant and we need to fill it up with people from every home around here. What is this church all about? It has a clear vision to see new life in every home. What are we trying to do? We're trying to be living truly new lives beyond a hobby, beyond hypocrisy, that are transformed for God. How will we see it happen around us? We will be people who are giving the message of new life to those that we prayerfully connect, care, communicate and lead to commit to Jesus. That is what we are about. That is what our church is for. That is what I'm calling you to join me in for this year. You know, in the first year that we were here, it rained over the site. There's this sign up there that says Future Church. There's a rainbow over the top of it and I ran up the street going, don't take the rainbow away before I get the photo. And I got this photo and I want you to see. I want you to see and hope and believe in a church that is not here yet that didn't exist three years ago, but under God, we pray, will be changing the world in 150 years' time. Let us pray that you and I will be part of God's call to live truly new lives for Jesus. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great hope of the gospel, the good news, not that good people go to heaven, but that bad people can be forgiven in Jesus and transformed into people who are faithful, adventurous, compassionate and enduring. Father, would you help us to be people who are giving and living the message of new life in Jesus, that we may see new life come to every home in Oran Park and the growing southwest. Father, would you make that possible for their salvation, for the greater good of this community and ultimately for your glory. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.